0: Well, well, good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to join me in Genesis 18. And you just needed that that wake-up call to make sure you're ready for us to discuss the judgment of God. So, Genesis 18, we're going to pick up where we left off last week as we're just studying verse by verse through the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. And we're going to be in Genesis 18 beginning in verse 16, and we're going to go to the end of chapter 19. That That'll be chapter 19, verse 38. It's where we're going to be this morning, and we're going to be looking at the destruction of Sodom, uh, and not just simply that one city. There were a variety of cities, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and even other cities that may have been in that subsequent region. Uh, but ultimately, our discussion is going to be as it relates to Abraham, and Abraham, as he correlates with his nephew Lot, Uh, as the story has been unfolding for us. And so uh, that's where we want to be. If you have a bulletin that was placed in your hands, you should see notes there uh, for Genesis 18, 16 through Genesis 19, 38, to be able to help us walk through that. As my youngest daughter communicates that uh, ultimately when there's more notes, that's a shorter sermon. And uh, my son, uh, uh, we were discussing that this morning, uh, and uh, he said, no, I just think we're busier uh, writing notes as we go along. I don't think the sermons are any shorter. So either way, we'll find out today, are the sermons any shorter when there's longer. But I will say my youngest daughter's always concerned when there's like four blanks. And she's like, we're going to be there forever with four blanks. So nonetheless, we're going to dive into our study this morning. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16 through uh, 1938 is where we're going to be. And I'm not going to read that in its entirety up front since it's such a large passage. As we've been trying to navigate through the study Uh, we have been the last few weeks tackling larger portions of Scripture to make sure we keep it in context and not to get lost as many times pastors do to make it very man-centered. It's about how can you be Abraham or how can you be David and destroy the giants in your own life or how can you be like the Israelites and march around cities seven times and destroy the strongholds that are there. Those aren't prescriptions necessarily for us to follow, but simply descriptions of how God's interacted with people. And so We want to be careful. We want to be cautious Ultimately, we're looking at Scripture for the main character, and the main character isn't, uh, in the biblical accounts, man. The main character is God, and we want to make sure that he is the one who is on display, and it shouldn't be any different this morning. Remember, once again, our context. Why is the book of beginnings written, and why is it uh, for our instructions for the glory of God, clearly? But at that present time, it was written to the children of Israel, and this was at least 470 years uh, later, 430 years later. Um, and then many of these, these scriptures have been given, as we studied just a couple of weeks ago, when God had given the instructions to Abraham, uh, that now they had been in Egypt for uh, that four generations. And now they've been freed through Moses, uh, by God, through Moses, by the signs that was granted to Moses and the miracles that accompanied that and the, the very variety of signs that were, were accomplished Uh, by God's hand uh, against the the Egyptians. And so they're about to embark upon moving into the promised land upon which they will be the one, the very instrument, the very sword of God's judgment against an entire people. And so as a result of that, here's a people who have been oppressed, a people who have been uh, enslaved, and now they're going to go wipe out entire nations in the land that had been promised to them. In spite of the fact they wanted to be free, in spite the fact... Uh, that would that's a good thing to be freed to be able to be given these instructions who might be very difficult to swallow and so as god's revealing himself to moses granting instruction to the children of israel that came from abraham god's now going back and sharing from the very beginning that i am the god who created everything i'm the god who created all of mankind i created them with accountability for a purpose uh, to bring me glory, to extend this glory to the nations, and man sinned against me. So it begins to help you to see where sin comes from. We begin to see how the, then there, from there was a variety of languages and nations at the Tower of Babel. Uh, we begin to see how that began to play out, and God's hatred towards sin and judgment upon sin. And so as you begin to see, as they're going to interact with a variety of nations, we understand now where the Canaanite people come from, why they will be judged, why God was going to judge them, why. The Amorites, if you will, their time had not come where God was ready to judge them, but it's about to be that time through the very hands of this people, which are God's people. And so you're going to even see now two more peoples that are going to be mentioned that will be excluded from the assembly. And so this is helping them uh, to understand the timeline, the chronology that's got them to the place where now they are about to embark upon, uh, and it will be through the direction leadership of Joshua, as we know. Uh, to be able to, to take and inhabit the land. And so it's helpful for us to see that, and it was clearly even helpful for them because they're the ones who had to, by faith, trust the Lord in this endeavor. And so as we see that, this is exactly why we want to begin to see these passages. And so this morning, in line with that as well, we're going to begin to see the holy character and nature of God, that he is distinct and different from us And as a result of that, he has every right to judge his people however he chooses to. We saw that he'd already judged the entire world by a global flood and destroyed everyone but eight people. And now you're going to see again he's going to destroy cities and is only going to allow four people to survive those uh, that judgment and so once again it's helping to establish the very character and nature of God and God's judgment against sin upon which they're going to be the fulfillment of that as they move into the promised land to inhabit the land and receive the inheritance that has been given to them and so that's why it's important and this is why as we were even looking at a passage like this today well so what to us well this is why Jesus is so important to us that ultimately God still judges sin And God's still going to punish sin. And apart from uh, faith in Christ and the righteousness that Christ has and is, and it being accredited to our account, we too should be judged like the people of Sodom. We too should be judged like the people uh, in in the uh, uh, pre-flood era uh, era that we would be judged just like they. And so ultimately, God is gracious and merciful not to do so. And so it helps us to begin to see that that uh, foreshadowing and that prophecy given in Genesis chapter 315, that the seed of the woman would dist- would uh, crush the head of the seed of the serpent, uh, that this is materialized. And as each portion of the study goes, we begin to see more and more and more instruction and guidance to who this individual is. And we, of course, now looking back um, um, many centuries later, we can look back and see clearly that 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 Messiah was Jesus and that he was the one who conquered death, hell and the grave. And so we look to be able to see that, but it still grants us instruction about God's hatred towards sin. And ultimately in God's future plan, he is going to destroy this world, not by flood and not uh, by sulfur, but ultimately by fire and ultimately he is going to have a new heaven and a new earth. And we too are to warn others about God's coming judgment against sin and sinners alike. So that's to help you to be able to tie all this together. So how do, what are we going to learn from our study in Genesis uh, 18 and 19? It's about God's hatred and judgment against sin. And so in this, we're going to begin to learn about the destruction, at least primarily, of the city of Sodom. So what do we want to learn? Let's dive into our notes. And as we unpack the notes, we'll walk through and read the text as we go and be able to navigate through this context real quick what's happened well there's a guy named abram whose name had been changed to abraham he was the line of shem the godly line uh and so and shem would be the one that um uh, the, the, the seed of the woman if you will that we begin to see in the hat take place between cain and abel and then ultimately um uh, uh, abel is uh, going to be killed by his older brother and You can see now there's another son that was born and through that godly lineage you see it traced in Genesis chapter 5. Then there's the flood and from that you see that would be Noah would be in that line. And now you're going to see Abram is in that line. And his father Terah had wanted to go to the land of Canaan and didn't make it, made it to Haran and then died. And then ultimately God appears to Abram and gives him instruction to make his way to that same destination his father wanted to arrive. And ultimately there's where he was going to receive the promise that he was going to be a blessing to all the nations and through his seed, all the world would be blessed and there would be kings and there would be nations that would come from him. And he would be a great nation. And it just says the stars in the sky could not be numbered. Your, your descendants cannot be numbered as the sand or the dust on the, the earth could not be numbered. Neither can your descendants be numbered. But he has to wait. He has to be patient, right? And he doesn't want to wait. And some 25 years after the promise was given, the fulfillment of that promise through his son will be uh, finally materialized and we've not gotten there yet that's going to happen next week when we begin to see the birth and study of Isaac but this is where we're, we're at and so you begin to see this promise of God's blessing that you'll be blessed and the nations will be blessed through you is going to continue to uh, to inform us about how to interpret the events of these passages and so you're going to see Lot have already been benefited once he was saved uh, uh, prior to this uh, when a uh, surrounding nation came and and took him captive. And so ultimately he was saved by Abraham. God saved him through Abraham, uh, through the very promise where I will bless you and those who bless you will be blessed and those who dishonor you will be cursed. And so clearly uh, when he goes to war, he's going to win. And so ultimately Lot is survived or is saved and he survives uh, uh, being taken captive there. And so ultimately you're going to continue to see this unfold. And of course you see Abraham and or Abram this time, his name's not been changed to Abram yet. So Abram and, and Sarai, his wife, end up trying to put, take matters in their own hand. It had been 13 years since the promise had given no child. And so they uh, take their servant, Hagar, and, and uh, know one another and have a child. And that's where Ishmael comes into the picture here and will continue to be um, uh, a hand of resistance toward the children of Israel throughout. But ultimately, since this time, Uh, As we continue through our story, God reveals himself to him, uh, consecrates the covenant uh, with him, and then continues to give him instruction. And then at 99, he's given a promise, and this is what happens in the context of chapter 18. Uh, The the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, shows up, and there was two angels with him, and um, God tells him, this time next year, you're 99, this time next year, Isaac will be born, and ultimately your wife's 89, and this time next year when she's 90, your son will be born despite the fact they were both advanced in years and she was past childbearing. And that's where our story uh, ended last week. And so now they're going to leave. They have already been fed and given instruction, and now they're about to depart because God had an agenda. And uh, what is that agenda in your notes? God warns about the coming judgment against sin. And this is why they're leaving. So you begin to see in this God's going to warn about the coming judgment against sin. That's verses 16 through 21. That's why I want to give you a little context of what has happened. So then the men, so these men are uh, communicated men. They're uh, angels and the Lord. So there's two angels and the Lord himself. The men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham, Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him and that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So when coming to b- deliver a message to Abraham, God had other plans, and not just coming to deliver messages, message, but to change him, to ch- fundamentally change who he is and uh, his name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah, and ultimately they were going to be a mother and father of great nations and the mother of a multitude. And so as we're seeing this, God had a plan, and as he's now revealing that plan to Abraham and revealing that plan to Sarah, and as he sees him off, as Abraham was hospitable to them, minister to them serve them uh he wants to then set them on their way to see them out and and uh in doing so god chooses to reveal some things to him and then with that one a part of that revelation is to warn about the coming judgment so what are some things that we need to see that would be helpful to this passage number one once again god's the main character right so not abraham god blessed abraham right so once again reminding of the promise that he had given him back in genesis chapter 12 and genesis chapter 15 even in Preceding section of this, Genesis chapter 18, you're seeing over and over and over God reminding him of this promise that he was going to have a child, and from this there will be a land and a lineage that's going to be granted to him, lineage of people that will be God's chosen people, which we know happened, right? Isaac, then Jacob, Jacob, then his name was changed as he wrestled with God to Israel, and that's where the children of Israel come from, and then from Israel or Jacob to Israel, Uh, And then ultimately to Joseph. And then Joseph leads us all the way up to where they would be enslaved or ensnared by the Egyptians due to the drought. And that's where then 400 years later they're now being released. They're under the direction and leadership of Moses. And uh, you're seeing the Pentateuch being finished out, being written uh, to give them instruction. And that's why it backs up for us to see the beginnings of how this whole thing got started. So it ties together. But now we're looking at the blessings of Abraham. And so he reminds him. That as he goes down, should I hide this thing? And so ultimately, seeing that Abraham, verse 18 primarily, shall surely become a great nation and a mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Once again, hearkening back to all the promises that kings and nations would come from him, that his multitude, uh, that his his, uh, heirs would be a multitude of people and that ultimately all the, the world would be blessed through him. And so God blessed Abraham. Number two, you see God purposed to bless the nations through Abraham. And this is where You see, once again, in verse 18, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Once again, hearkening back, reminder to that. And so this is what God does. He is a God who blesses. God, a God who purposes to bless the nations. And so we think about the blessings that we've received, us living in the United States, having freedom to gather here and worship freely this morning, without any real thought or danger that someone's going to come in and shoot us up, or that the government's going, that we're doing something illegal, and the government's going to come and, and arrest me for teaching and preaching Uh, and I'll say even a message as this one that we're about to uh, one day it could be considered hate crimes and maybe not in too distant future especially preaching against the destruction of Sodom and why uh, that was a wicked practice Uh, our nation has now embraced that and and uh, ultimately I believe one day I could be arrested for this sermon even if it's not one I have preached recently just by digging up the archives from uh, from this particular message it could be considered hate crimes but at this particular moment we're blessed we don't have to be concerned of that we're not to be um overly anxious about that and so as a result of that we have great blessings but it intends not just to be recipients of blessings but know that god has a purpose in blessing us that we'd be a blessing to others and so in the same way gospel centered we want to take this great and glorious message of the gospel to the nations that we've made disciple makers to the nations at the very ends of of the earth. And so God blessed Abraham, but blessed him with a purpose that he would be a blessing to the nations. Number three, God chose Abraham. What did he choose him to do? God chose Abraham to know and to obey and to reveal him, to reveal God to others. And this is how he was going to be a blessing. It was that he was going to reveal God to other individuals. And so the children of Israel were going to be set apart against the other nations that they were, uh, 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 a government that was based upon, not a king, but a government that was based upon a God, the one true living God, uh, the only God, and so the one and only God. And so as a result of this, this is what the intent behind this was. And so God chose Abraham. That's what we see in verse 19. For I've chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has Promise Now, let me just share something really, really interesting here. There's many have a desire to accomplish great feats for God. and I'm, We've talked through this, we've walked through this, that God doesn't need us in the sense of that He is incapable or He's incompetent apart from us. He doesn't need us in that way. He chooses to use us for His goodness and His glory, but it's not that we're not indispensable. And so this is why the main point of the Bible is not, the main character is not humanity in that sense. The main character would be God, God himself, right? And in the revelation of the incarnation, the revelation of the Lord, the one true living God, in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, this, that Christ is the main point. He's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. But as we're walking through this, God does choose us, and he does work through us, and that he works through generations, right? We've walked through Uh, Just a chapter of Scripture, 1,600 years, when we were just walking through um, uh, Adam all the way to Noah. And so you begin to think about that, that it's just a brief chapter, and we've covered a large portion of time. You know, he's not picking out every selected person that he interacted with through that entire time. Why? Because the main point's God, and we want to make sure that's the case. But as we think through this, God's purposes that will bless the world. Don't miss this. It's coming through a, a family. A family. And for you and I, sometimes we have just great aspirations. That we want to accomplish things for God. Or we may feel like we're not accomplishing very much for God. And the reality is we, we don't need to overestimate or underestimate what God is doing around us. Because we don't know. The instructions that we're given. I've chosen him, being Abraham. Right, And that's the good and gracious feet of God. He didn't, God didn't, Abraham didn't choose God. God revealed himself to Abraham. And as a result of that, he responds in like manner. But as God chose him, the simple instructions were, teach your household, teach your children these ordinances. To know me. Because as a result, yes, then this progeny is going to get really big. And as this progeny gets big, if you do your job, and every generation does their job, clearly by the grace and mercies of God, we can't save our children. But in desiring to be faithful, to teach them, as the Shema would tell us, right? In Genesis, uh, I mean, um, uh, in uh, Exodus 4, uh, that we walk through this, or Exodus 6, we want to be able to teach them that there's a one God, right? And that He, the one true living God, and He is one, and that when we rise up, and when we lie down, we walk about, we need to teach these things to our children. And so this is exactly the point of this particular passage, that God chose Abraham to know him and to obey him and to reveal him to others. And not just the nations, but to his family. And then from his family, it will go to the nations as well, right? And so it's not to say we're not to be a witness out and about. To say that Abraham wasn't to be a witness as he went out about. He was constantly, as he was traveling, interacting. He had already interacted with the Egyptians. He's interacted with a variety of other nations at this particular point. He interacted with Melchizedek. So he's, he's interacting with people, and all along the way, be faithful to reveal to them what you know, what you know, and as you obey, reveal to others the one true living God. But it's interesting that primary emphasis, primary motive is don't miss your own household. And I don't think that's different for us in the New Testament as we believe and teach the priesthood of believers. But ultimately, God's instructing us not to miss our own households. Yes, have your eyes on the nations. I see too many times a desire to reach the nations uh, and completely, almost in spite of your own family. And be able to instruct our wives and our children and those around us to be able to see their purpose uh, in uh, in the will and purposes of God, their their identity in the will and purposes of God. And so in this, God's going to warn about this, but He, in context of this, God's warning comes as a result of God blessing Abraham. God's warning comes in God's purposes for Abraham. God's warning comes in the line of God choosing Abraham, and in choosing Abraham, that ultimately there's going to be a picture here of the role of the priest and the prophet, right? To represent people to God and represent God to the people, and that's exactly what you're going to see uh, unveiled today as it relates to Abraham, and the very role that Moses is going to have as he's now leading the children of Israel as he's pinning these words under the inspiration of God. Right? So God blesses Abraham. God purposed to bless the nations through Abraham. God chose Abraham to know and obey and reveal him to others. And then finally, God revealed his plan of coming judgment to Abraham. Right? Should I, as we go to verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, you just understand, as we're walking through and teaching this, it's the same thing that God's going to say to Moses. Moses is going to be on Mount Sinai, right? And he's being given this the instructions. It's even maybe we're receiving today, maybe what we're even reading today. God's speaking to him. Remember, he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. He's going to re- come off the mountain. His face is going to be glowing, and uh, it's going to be a pretty amazing feat. that's going to be taking place there. God's sustaining him while he's up on the mountain. And so as we're walking through this, this is... It's interesting for the Bible to be the case. But then remember what God said? Hey, you better go down there. I'm about to destroy them. That's, that's my paraphrase. But nonetheless, it's what Nexus is walking through. Why? Because while Moses is gone, they think God had killed him on the mountain, and they need a God to worship. And so they come to Aaron, his brother, and says, man, we've gathered a bunch of gold and must melt it down and must build a golden calf. We're going to worship it. And God's like, I'm here giving you instructions. And these people are idolatrous, even at this very moment, and they're worshiping A golden calf that your brother had built. And I'm going to destroy them. Now, in the context of that particular passage, I just communicated to you out of Exodus. and the passage in today, once again, God doesn't need to inform us of what he's going to do. Remember that. When he does inform us of things that he's going to do, there's a purpose behind it. He doesn't need to be talked out of it. I re- I'm so angry and I'm just unrighteously angry right now. And Moses, you just need to give me a minute and go handle this because I don't want to handle it. That is not at all the character of God. What's being communicated is, I'm going to allow you to be an uh, a, uh, intermediary for us, right? I, in my righteousness and my holiness, I will destroy them because of sin, right? My holy presence, God is a consuming fire, and we're but dried up leaves. And when you put those in uh, that in our nature and his nature together, we will be consumed, just like dried leaves will be consumed by fire. And so God says, It's not good for me to be in their presence because I will consume them. So you need to go down on their behalf. And so it's not like God's angry and says, I really need you to fix this because if I go down there, I'm going to blow up and I'm going to destroy everything because I can't control myself. No, he's saying you need to go down there because if I come down there, I will destroy them because it's just to have a hatred for sin. I'm good and holy and loving and because I'm good. I hate sin because I'm loving. I hate sin and because I'm holy, I'm different than sin. And so you need to, I'm sparing them by sending you. And this is the same thing here. So I hide it from Abraham? What is this given to do? Given Abraham a, an opportunity to see the character and nature of God. An idea of what's happening here. And once again, big picture, what is this training? What is this even training Moses to understand? What is it tra- Moses, I mean, giving this to the people to train them. God hates sin, and he's not going to turn a blind eye to it, and he can choose to judge through sulfur and fire and brimstone from heaven, or he can send a worldwide flood, or he can send you into a nation with swords, and you're going to be my means of judgment. It doesn't matter how he chooses to do it. It's that he has the right to do it because he's a holy God. And so this is the same picture here. He's revealing this plan of the coming judgment. So shall I hide this from Abraham? No, I'm not going to hide it to him. He needs to see my character and my nature, right? He needs to see how this works. And and we need to see this. We're all about God is love and God is gracious and God is merciful. And we're missing the fact that God, too, is holy. And we need to process the holiness of God or we're we're going to use and misrepresent God, God's goodness and his grace and his mercy, which happens all the time through gospel presentations. And I think it was important for even in the history of the Israelites, especially for David, who was a man after God's own heart, to wrestle with the holiness of God, was it not? When they were going to move the Ark of the Covenant, they were going to bring it to Zion, his holy hill, right? It's where God's presence was going to dwell. And they didn't move it the way God instructed them to move it. And so it was a fanfare. It was on a cart and pulled by oxen and, I mean, we're going to have a procession. It's like a parade. And that's not how God wanted the Ark of Covenant transported, was it? Had God given instruction how to do it? Yeah. Gold poles that went through these ringlets, and they were to carry it on their shoulders, and the priests would carry it. And so that's not how at all they went, hey, you know, we're going to make this a lot of fanfare. We're going to have a parade like we just won a national championship or something. We're going to parade it through the city, and we're going to see this. And so the oxen stumble, the carts wobbling, and all of a sudden, the Ark of the is going to fall out. And remember what Uzzah does? He stretches out his hands to steady the Ark. That's good. We don't have the Ark falling on the ground. But if you touch it, you die. And it should remind us, it should remind us that God is a holy God. He is not like us, He is distinct and different. He is eternal and He's without sin. And so, in this, we. We've got to be reminded that God's a God of judgment. God's a God of judging the sin. And that's just good. We don't want people sinning against us. And we cry out for mercy. Until it's our sin that needs to be judged. Right? So people are like, well, why is God delaying? God needs to judge America. Or God needs to judge sin. Or God needs to judge this and judge that. And just be careful. At what point do you want God to stop judging sin? Because as Pastor Tim walked us through just a moment ago, on the thought level, because if you want him just to judge sin and judge it instantly, I would already be dead, you would already be dead, and we'd be in hell forever. What level do you want God to stop judging sin? Because if he's going to judge all sin, all of us will be eradicated immediately. We're not eradicated as far as we cease to exist, but eradicated from this planet, and we will be burning in hell at this particular moment. But what we want, I think we want him to be gracious. We want him to be gracious to us. And so as we're walking through this time of grace, we want to ask God, God, grant us wisdom, grant us clarity, grant us your heart like Abraham, that we can intercede on behalf of those people who reject you. So he reveals his plan to him. And what is that plan? Verse 20 and 21. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have, done, uh, whether they have all done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Now, once again, this is what you call anthropomorphic language. Meaning it's, given, it's personifying God with the ability to be able to see with eyes. To be able to come down to earth be able to interact with us and so god is spirit he knows he's omniscient he's omnipresent he's omnipotent he has all power all knowledge Uh, he's everywhere and so he doesn't need to come and do this but it's for his interaction with abraham and it's for the opportunity for us to to know when it says that god sees and god hears and it's not that god has ears like we hear in an ear canal and that. Words are vibrating, and we—you know—he chooses to interact with us in ways that we can understand because he created us with limited faculties, right? He created us finite, so he interacts with us on our level. But he doesn't need to come down to check out to see if it's legit or real. He's coming down because he's wanting to demonstrate this is serious, and judgment's about to come. And so I'm coming to make sure I verify it on your terms, right? Giving witnesses to this. Why sends two angels? Right? Because in the law, what are you going to have? On the basis of two or three witnesses? The things are going to happen? And that's for capital punishment? Well, he's about to bring capital punishment to cities. So we're going to go and we're going to check it out. See if altogether the outcry that's come is about, is it real? Now, he already knows the answer. But once again, what is this about? Abraham trusting God. Abraham knowing more of the character and nature of God. Abraham understanding more of who God is. Because Why? He needs to he needs to understand that because why he's got a family to raise and the fear and the wisdom and the admonition of the Lord. That will be now the father of many, many nations. So God warns about the coming judgment against sin. Number two, Abraham intercedes on behalf of the righteous living. In the cities that he will that will be judged, right? So Abraham intercedes on behalf of the righteous that are living in the cities that will be judged and so. What do you think might be on Abraham's mind? I don't know. I'm just sheer speculation. But what might be on Abraham's mind? Well, he said he's about to go destroy Sodom. Well, remember, not too long before this, there was some conflict within the family between the herdsmen of his his uh, of his belongings, Abraham's belongings, and the herdsmen of Lot's belongings. And as a result, he says, "Listen, all this belongs to us. You pick which direction you want to go, Lot. I'm going to pick this direction, and I'll go opposite." So, Lot sets his heart and affection toward the area of Sodom. Very fertile area, very fertile land. But ultimately, we're beginning to see that there was already a hint, a warning that this was coming because why? Scripture already told us it was a very wicked area. And so, yeah, there's a lot of blessings that were taking place. the ground's very fertile there, but there's wicked people that live there. And so as a result, he knew where Lot was. And so a concern for his own is that, man, I need to intercede. I need to pray. I need to ask God. Could you, would you, could you spare? If there were righteous living there, would you, could you spare them? This is what we see happening here. Abraham is going to intercede. He's going to pray. He's going to ask on behalf of the righteous, believing that Lot would be one of those that might be living in and around those cities, that they would be spared from God's judgment. And so our points there, Abraham asks God for mercy based on the good and just character of God. Now, that's interesting, right? Not just asking selfishly, he's asking based upon the character and nature of God, it informs us about how we should pray. Right? Many times our prayers are unbelievably self centered. That's not to say we shouldn't ask for ourselves certain things and that we shouldn't pray for safety and those, those type of things, but ultimately, I think much, if not most, of our prayers are based upon comfort and convenience rather than the holiness and the nature and the character of God. That God would spare people for his name's sake. When you look at Ezekiel 36 and God's going to do a mighty work of the regeneration a new birth in us. He's addressing that and how they're now going, going to obey my statutes. and He's going to bring them back from the nations when he had judged them to the land that he had promised them. What is God's reasoning and purpose behind that? Do you remember what it says? I Listen, before you mess this up and think I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it for my name's sake. That's you. That you condemned, right? That you slandered in front of the nations. But I'm gonna bring you back and I'm gonna change your nature and I'm gonna cause you to walk in my statutes and my commandments for my name's sake. Because of my character, my nature. And so Abraham, having spent time with the Lord, and dinner with the Lord, and and God is speaking to him and has spoken to him before, over the past 25 years or 24 years at this point, he's 99. And now he's, he's understanding more and more about the nature and character of God and however many times they have had interaction. And so he's going to ask God for mercy based upon God's good character, God's just and holy character. And it's what we see in verses 22 to 25. So the men turned from there and went down towards Sodom. So two of the, the two angels are going to go down. They call them men, but the two, we know it's the two angels because we're going to see that in, in chapter 19, verse 1. And so two of them leave, and so the Lord's going to stand there with him. So two of the men... Turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, "Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city, will you then sweep away the place and not spirit for the spirit for the, the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you!" And here's where he's a pleading, and he's, uh, uh, he's basing his argument, basing him on his request upon the very nature and character of God. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do what is just? You're just. Don't let the righteous suffer with the wicked. Now, we've got to be unjust to let the righteous suffer with the wicked. Absolutely not. You need to understand that. why? Because that's what exactly happens with his own son as the utmost preeminent example. And clearly throughout the Old Testament, you're seeing the prophets killed because they were faithful, they were just, they were righteous. It's exactly the mode and model that's going to be given to the disciples, the apostles. And the instructions, not just to them, but to us this day, that all who desire to live righteously will be persecuted. Lest we mistake it and have an, uh, a false understanding of this type of world and buy into a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. This is the lot we've been granted, right? This is the lot that we've received. And so, But he's asking for God to spare them. So, you ask God for mercy based upon the good and just character of God. And God responds. See, I'd, yields right and so in that verse 26 and the Lord said if I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city I will spare the whole city place for their sake and Abraham answered and said but I've undertaken to speak to the Lord I who am but dust and ashes suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking will we destroy the whole city for lack of five and he's going to continue to go through this cycle again and again and again and again and again with them so you see Abraham asking God for mercy based on the good and and righteous character of God, right? But then how does God respond? God is gracious to spare the entire city on behalf of the 50 righteous persons, as we saw in verse 26. If I find 50, I'll spare the city. Now, once again, God knows what He's doing. He knows all things. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He doesn't need any instruction. doesn't need to be informed about anything. No one needs to give Him counsel. So God already knows what's going to happen. But it's a model helping helping, uh, Abraham to to interact with God and to, to pray and to seek God and to trust God and to believe God. And so God knows there's not 50, but if there's 50, I will, I will grant it. I'll grant it. Now, this teaches us, informs us of some things. Once again, as we're looking at the context even the family, we've been doing a study in, on Wednesdays of 1 Corinthians, remember? And in 1 Corinthians in seven, chapter 7, verse 14, the, the conversation is about a believer living with an unbeliever. And in this, the question becomes is that, well, in the preceding section, the pre- preceding chapter of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 6 is about having uh, sex with a prostitute, and ultimately that that would defile the temple because we're the temple of the living God. The Spirit resides in us. And we don't want to yoke the, uh, the Spirit with a prostitute. And so it's not the way... So then the question naturally becomes, well, then, if I've got an unbeliever and they don't worship you, then somehow am I defiling this temple... And it would be better that I got divorced and I didn't stay with my spouse. And the instructions that are given is, hey, no, stay married. Because why? Your spouse will be made holy and your children will be made holy on, behalf of, 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 on, on your behalf. Not meaning they necessarily will be saved. Only God's the author of salvation. What it's saying is that there's benefits of them knowing the things of God as a result of that, right? And this is a perfect example. The entire city would have been saved if there had been 50 people who were righteous. They'd had a witness there, and so ultimately God wasn't going to destroy the whole city. But there comes a point where God says, No, my my, my patience has ended. I've been long-suffering, and now it's time for judgment to come. But that would have been a perfect example of what we saw in 1 Corinthians 7:14, where the children that were born with mixed uh, with that were unequally yoked, a husband and wife were that ultimately stay in the marriage for the sake of the children, for the sake of your spouse, so they might be. Uh, able to understand the gospel, see the gospel lived out day in and day out as a result of God's graciousness on their behalf, right? And so it's the same situation here. And so God says, yeah, I'll, man, I'll, God is gracious. Spare the entire city on behalf of 50 righteous persons. So then number three, Abraham humbly pleads, right? So he's asking, nice he's pleading for mercy to spare the city if the righteous is less than 50 persons. And this is going go to continue to go all the way till there's 10, right? So verse 27 Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am but but, uh, dust and ashes. So that's the humility there that he says. He's going to humbly plead with the Lord. I really shouldn't be asking you anything. I don't have the right to ask you anything. But ultimately, I am but who? Ash ash and dust uh, dust and ashes. Uh, Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? So now there's only 45. Would you, just for five people, you'd still destroy everything? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Verse 29, again he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. God answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but thus... But this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So Abraham's now pleading. Right? Wow. What if there's not 50 of Lot's family that's not walking with the Lord? It's not honoring God. Yeah, maybe I should reduce this number. Could there at least be ten? And Lot's family that would be spared. And God, number four, God grants Abraham's request for grace on behalf of the righteous. Hey, if there's ten, the entire city will be spared. Now just, just a reminder to us. The question that came to my mind when I was reading this, studying this. I I know the passage, you know the passage. But we need to put this in present day understanding the disciples came to jesus at one point and said lord are few being saved just a few being saved and he answered yes now few in the context of just the multitudes and over the course of centuries god's merciful and gracious and god's merciful and gracious is one but saved but the reality is compared to the multitudes, of seven billion people on the planet There's few who are righteous. Genuinely want to know and love the Lord. And this is a reoccurring theme that we've seen again and again and again. God destroyed the whole world. But eight. And he's going to destroy a city. Cities. Multiple cities. And he could only find four. And had to literally drag them out of the city before he destroyed it. I say that just to encourage you. I mean, be faithful to share. Be faithful to live. Be faithful to know and to obey and to reveal God to others. And leave the results to God. Because ultimately, over time, we've seen there's just a few. Even after all the miracles that we even talked about this this morning. John 5 to John 9. This guy's been healed who was invalid for 38 years and doesn't worship Jesus. Gets in trouble for carrying a mat on the Sabbath and then... Finds out who Jesus is later and turns them in. Imagine all the places in every city, every place Jesus went, there was healings and miracles and signs performed. And how many were coming to faith in Christ? Oh, they loved him. They heralded him when he was giving handouts. John six, John five, feeding the multitude. John six, he preaches a hard message, and they all leave, fickle. Spurious, superficial faith. We love the signs and the miracles and the blessings of God. But we don't love the holiness and the justice of God. And so we see here that be faithful, be faithful. Faithful, even if it's just a few so Abraham intercedes on behalf of the righteous living in the cities that will be judged. And then lastly, God mercifully saves the righteous from judgment. He's going to end up destroying the city as we know. But he will save the righteous that are there. And sometimes in seeing how they live and how they respond afterwards, it's hard to believe they're righteous, right? It's like when Noah got off the boat and then gets drunk. You're like, man, what happened? That should be a reminder to us not to be too hard on these patriarchs. Not to be too hard on those... I take a good close look at ourselves in the mirror and see how unrighteous we can be at times, even though we have the Holy Spirit of God living and residing in us. God mercifully saves the righteous from judgment. So what do we see happening? Number one, God sends the angels, sends two angels. And in fact, God sends angels to see the wickedness of the cities and save his people from judgment. That's verse one of chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. So you see at the gates where the rulers would rule, the judges would judge and so that's where he finds himself. And so ultimately, he may have been a ruler or at least a judge in that particular place. Uh, he's definitely going to reference him being in judgment over them later on in verse uh, 9. And so this could be a play on words that he might have been a uh, significant figure in the city there. But nonetheless, this is what where he was at and began to see. And we don't know if he knows their angels this time. He definitely is going to demonstrate hospitality to them and is a righteous man in demonstrating that hospitality to them and wants to spare them from the wickedness that was about to ensue. Uh, but ultimately, uh, God sends angels there to see the wickedness of the cities, to bring judgment as the two witnesses would come on this particular city. And then in that, God knew in his omniscience that he was going to save Lot and his family or a portion of his family out of that city. And so God sends his angels to see it. Number two, then Lot sees... Lot submits and Lot serves the angels sent by God. And this is important to help us to begin to see this, because uh, Lot's going to do some sketchy things even in the context of this chapter. And and so as we're walking through this, it, you want to see that ultimately this hospitality shown toward them is a good thing. It's the same, similar hospitality that Abraham showed the angels of the Lord and uh, the Lord Himself when those the three came to Him. Right, serve them, feed them, minister to them, see them, take care of them. The same picture and imagery that the bible say in hebrews 13 that we'd be careful that we'd entertain strangers and we might be entertaining angels unaware and so it's a it's a good gift the grace of god that we'd be hospitable one of the requirements once again qualifications of an elder that we'd be hospitable to others we a lover of strangers and so this is exactly what lot he sees he submits and he serves these angels sent by god you know it's not we begin to wonder and see man about the righteousness of others you know one of the simplest things is actually see people See people. You know, I could preach an entire sermon and I can look at you, but not look toward. I can look toward you, but not actually see you. Somebody say, well, hey, was so-and-so in service today? Many times preachers could say, I don't know. And you stood before them for like an hour. How in the world do you not know if somebody was in the service or not? Well, if I'm not here for you, here to desire to know you and see you. To connect with you, to help make sure you understand it if you're paying attention see if you're asleep right and i'm not judging but just are you interacting with this like so helps me as a pastor to know your spiritual state to see if you're engaging with what's taking place it's that part of the process of me watching over your souls for those who have entered into that biblical agreement right between the elder and and a church member or that's just seen each week are you apathetic are you indifferent to the gospel how's your body language your posture and i don't judge that too much you could just at a late night, you may have had kids who were sick and a variety of other things. But each week, I'm interacting with you. And so part of this is seeing other people. Do you see the people around you? And when you come to the gathering, are you seeing the people that's around you? We really look at them. Yeah, we give at our members meeting the one another commands and encourage you to be fostered. At. Give the church directory with pictures and everybody knows one another and try to foster that. And I can't make you see people. I can't make you see the lost around you. I can't make you see the saved around you. I can't make you see the needs that are around you. And it's interesting as we look at Lot. that the moment these individuals came into the city at night, he saw them. And he knew the type of city it was. And he's going to urge them. Don't, don't sleep out here tonight. You need to come with me and you need to come to my household. Look what he says. Verses 1 through 3. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. You don't need to be hanging out here. This is a pretty wicked place. Which begs the question, Lot, what in the world are you doing living there? You had pitched your tent there toward it. Now you're in it. And you're about to be warned. It's going to get judged. And he's not ready to leave it. You need to rise up early and go on your way. And they said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. We're going to test you. We're going to test you. How much do you really love us? No, we're going to spend the night here in the town square. But those angels, hey, they'd be okay. We read the Bible. One angel killed 180,000 people in one night. I think they're okay. I don't think they have any problems whatsoever, right, with the people of Sodom. They're about to make them go blind in just an instant, right? Uh But ultimately, he's testing hospitality of Lot. Now, we'll just spend a night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people, to the last man, surrounded the house. Now that's where you're going to see our third point. The wickedness of that city and surrounding region is vast and without restraint. The wickedness is vast and without restraint. Listen to the way the language is... It's communicated here. The men of the city. The men of Sodom. And this is where Sodomy gets its name, right? This evil practice that was taking place by the name of this particular city. Both young and old. So the young were doing it. The old were doing it. All the people to the last man. the depravity of this city had reached completion. It was a wicked place. They all needed to go. That's Judgment. God's patience has reached it in, and God's judgment was present. And so you see this wickedness, and they, they called to Lot, verse 5, Where are the men who came to, you by, came to you tonight? Bring them out to us, that we may know them. That's the, the word that's used about a husband knowing his wife. We may have sexual relations with them. Lot went to the door, went out to the door, uh, went out to the entrance, uh, to and went out to the men. I'll get it right here in a minute. At the entrance, shut the door after him. So now he's out with the people and he's got the door shut behind him. Going out and confront the people. And, he's, and said, I beg you, my brothers, do not act so wickedly. That's good. So far, I, he's tracking. I like what he's saying there. But then he's going to lose his mind here for a moment in verse 8. And once again, we see this happen. We saw it happen with Abram before his name was changed to Abraham, right? When he says, this is my sister, and not my wife. And half right, it was his half sister, but it clearly was his wife as well. And so he gets in trouble and he's going to do it again next chapter. So he clearly didn't learn his lesson still. You're going to see the same thing happening here with Lot. Behold, I have two daughters who have not known any man. Let, them, let me bring them out to you and do to them as you please. I have two daughters. I'm not going to go that route. By the grace of God, I'm not going that route. You'll just have to kill me, but I'm not handing my daughters out to you. That's ridiculous. Right? The Bible had already given a command about what marriage was, what marriage is. One man, one woman for life. Not a mob. Do what you want to. That sin was egregious. I get it. But man, don't lose your mind. Don't be foolish. two daughters do with them as you please only do nothing to these men for they have come under the shelter of my roof but they said stand back and they said this fellow came to sojourn and he's become the judge now we will deal worse with you than with them and they pressed hard against the man lot and drew near to break the door down but the men reached and that's the men now we're back to the angels the angels, the two men, reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door, right? And so it's where we we're going to find ourselves and shut, and shut the door. And they struck, the, the, struck with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so, that they were war, they, so they wore themselves out groping for the door. Their sexual desires were so much so, even after they were struck blind, they were still trying to get in. I think at that particular moment, my mind would be, I can't see any longer. What am I going to do? Still, feverishly desirous to have these men that they saw. I mean, that's why got the wickedness of city and surrounding region is so vast and without restraint. Even when they were struck blind, they're groping for the door. Number four, God saves Lot and a portion of his family from the coming judgment against sin. 12 to 29. Then the men said to Lot, Have you anyone else here, sons in law sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city? Bring them out of the place. for We're about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, Get up, get out of this place. The Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed... To his son-in-laws to be jesting as morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, "Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city." But he lingered, lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand, and the Lord being merciful to him and they brought, uh, the Lord being merciful to him and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, "Escape for your life! Do not look back." Or step anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. What were the instructions from the angel of the Lord? Escape for your life. Do not look back. Stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, "Oh no, my lords, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life. But I cannot escape to the hills lest disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. It is, not a, is it not a little one? And my life will be saved. He said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar, which means little. Right? So he kept saying, it's a little city, little city. Let me go there. Let me go there. And so he encourages him to escape, right? How interesting is that? city's defiled. The city's wicked. And yet, no hurry to get out of the city. Now, once again, where his livelihood was, potentially where his house was that he may have lived in for some time now. I don't know he may, if he was a soldier in there. Don't, that comment about your soldier now, now you're a judge over us. Was that immediate? Was that, has that been that you're just new to us? You're still new. You've been here a while, but you're not a long, you're not just in your hometown. Or what I don't know what all of that might have meant, but nonetheless, it's, He's lingering there. He's hindering, being hindered from wanting to leave there. So we don't know. We don't know why that's the case. But he's had some of Sodom moved into Lot, once Lot moved into Sodom, the reality is it may, that may have been the case. And so the angels were going to spare Lot and spare the city until he could get outside of the of the danger zone, if you will, the, the site where Uh, Ground zero where this is about to go down. Verse 23. The sun had risen on the earth when Lot came to Zoar. And then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities. And so there's multiple cities there. At least Sodom and Gomorrah, maybe more. And all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But Lot's Lot's wife behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Why did she become a pillar of salt? Disobeyed, right? Her heart was really still there. She disobeyed the Lord. Something similar said to those who were going to follow Jesus. Remember that? Jesus interacting with people. He says, come follow me. Instructs three people to follow him. Actually, he instructs two people to follow him. One volunteered that he would follow him and then didn't. And he says, one who looks back is on the plow is not fit for the kingdom. Right? Singular allegiance to the things of God. Singular allegiance to the things of God. So her heart was divided. She still wanted to be with the world, and a wicked world at that. And she turned to salt. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had... So now we're shifting back to Abraham. There were a lot, and those guys were getting out. And they made it to Zoar. His wife didn't make it. And Now we're back to Abraham, verse 27. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the valley. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. And so it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. How, why was Lot saved? Well, it was a sovereign plan of God, first, first and foremost. But it's because of Abraham and the promise God made to Abraham. Second time a Lot's been saved because of who he knew, right? Saved by the gracious hand of God through his intermediary. Right? The graciousness in the hand of God. Now was Lot righteous? Yes. He demonstrated righteousness, sparing the angels, serving the angels, hospitality, so on and so forth. And Second Peter lists him as righteous, even in the midst of this wicked city. But ultimately, here he's spared. Because God remembered Abraham and the covenant he made with Abraham. Do you know the reason why we're spared? There's a greater Abraham that came. And God looks at him and remembers us. Those who are in Christ. Right? So, beautiful picture there. Foreshadowing foreshadowing of the, the true intercessor, the true intermediary on our behalf. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. And then this passage then summarizes up, or ends, not summarizes, ends with a weird interaction between Lot and his daughters. Right And so what does this tell us? Well, then our point is God explains the origins of enemy nations that will be rejected from the assembly of Israel. God explains the origins of enemy nations that will be rejected from the assembly of Israel. There's going to be enemies that Israel is going to fight and have interactions with and are going to be resistant to them from this day forth. And so he's given them a little bit of his history behind it, just like the curse of Canaan through the line of Ham. And you're going to see the Canaanites, which are, they're about to judge um, as they're in the promised land. Same picture imagery here. You're going to see two peoples that are going to be named. that will get to the end of this. So Now, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. Don't know exactly why he was afraid to live in Zoar. Was it wicked as well? Uh, saw, saw similar practices and said, that didn't go well. I'm out. Or did they blame Lot um, for what might have happened? He began to tell the story, and he's just overwhelmed. He's like, man, God spared me, and... It was crazy. He's telling the story to this little city of Zoar, And they're like, we don't want you here. Get out. Regardless of what happened, he's afraid. He goes up to live in the caves. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old. And there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all earth. Why? He's living in a cave by himself with just his daughters. Right? And this was a man who was extremely wealthy. Right? Remember, all the herdsmen are having issues. And while they separated, he went to the area in the valley with Sodom. So now he doesn't have anything except for his two daughters. And so now they're living up in a cave by themselves, afraid of the people who lived in Zoar for whatever reason being. And so now the daughters are saying, man, there's not a guy for us to marry. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose, meaning he didn't know that anything had ever happened. The next day, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The first bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger also bore a son and called his name ben ami and he is the father of the Ammonites to this day. So the issue here, the instruction here, is that while the children of Israel that's been, this is being given to, this book of virgins is being written to, uh, are going to need help from the, the uh, Ammonites and the Moabites, and they're not going to help them, right? And then Balaam's going to come. It's going to be through this as well. The Balaam's going to attempt to curse them, and God won't allow him to. He's going to be paid to be able to do so, and that's going to be at the hands of the Moabites and the Ammonites as well. And so they're going to be forbidden to be, Uh, They're going to be enemies of Israel and they're going to be forbidden to be able to enter the assembly when the Israelites assemble to worship God. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 3 through 6. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord. Even to the 10th generation, none of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever. Because they did not meet you with bread and with water on the way. What does that speak of? Hospitality. Who was showing hospitality? Abraham, Lot, the people of God, and so they not meet you with bread and water on your on, on your way when you came out of Egypt, because they hired against you Balaam the son of Beor from Pathor of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to Balaam. Instead, the Lord your God turned a curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loved you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity all the days, uh, all your days forever. And so. About to give that instruction to them. And so, what about these Moabites and these Ammonites? Well, they're going to be tied to Lot, and he wants to give the history behind this. And so, once again, establishing to people the truth so that people know the history behind it and understand God's judgment when it comes. And so, as we begin to see this, God sees you. Don't miss that. Is it about you? No, it's about God. But don't miss this God sees you. And he sees you at the most basic level, both your thought life and your thoughts and your intentions and how that plays out in one of the most important places that you live, your home. Right? Your home. That's why the qualification of elder is so important. Manage your household well. Your children be faithful. Believers, be faithful. So as we're walking through this, this, I won't want us to miss this. We get caught up in the story. You're like, this doesn't apply to us. The reality is God's blessing through families and beyond for sure. But the reality is is that one of the greatest venues you have is developing, making families and sharing the gospel. and And through that context and beyond. What we don't want to miss is that we're a great evangelist, we're a great pastor, we're a great business person, we're a great church member, and miss it in your own home. And So you see what happens when you know, honor the Lord in your home, right? There's curses that happen. They become the enemies of God, as the Moabites and Ammonites, children of Ham, or they become the children of God. And that's not in our power, but here's the encouragement and instruction for you that you would know and obey and share the Lord with others. Start in your home, and from your home share the gospel with other people.